you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So excited. I want to say hello to everyone once again who is here with us today. And a special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the first time. It's so easy to slip in and out of here. I want to make sure that I greet all of our first-time visitors. So if this is your first time here, would you just give me a wave and look around and let's just wave to all of our first-time visitors. Hello, ma'am. Welcome. 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 Got them in the back. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us today, and I pray that you're richly blessed. Also, I'd love to get to know you and, and shake your hand, and on behalf of the leadership here, we have a little gift for you, uh, just a little token of our appreciation, just that you're here with us today. Also, today's a very, very exciting day. You know, um, I think everyone would agree that 2020 was a very, very difficult and unique year. Amen? I tell you what, I, it went by quick, but it was very, very devastating for many churches and I mean just being apart from the body and we just really gained an appreciation for the body and how much we need each other and how great it is to come and to worship with each other and so I, I think we're truly coming out of a season specifically here at Calvary Chapel West Grove we look back back in the BC days not before Christ but before COVID and uh, you know it, we're, we're, we're moving back and we're we're growing and God is doing an amazing work here and I hope that you see that you feel that and you're excited about about that and we did something this week that just really excited me and blessed me for a couple of reasons one I don't know if you've noticed but we had to add more chairs here in the sanctuary we had to add several rows and um, and it's just exciting because a lot of people are coming back whether they are you know no longer concerned or whether they've made benefits or God's just bringing new people to our body so that's the blessing the bad news is your first class rows have uh, shrunk a little bit <laughs> and so you know we're gonna make sure we're not gonna pack this place in like sardines we'll add another service before we take away the leg room I know people are you guys are getting real comfortable with that leg room some of you guys are bringing pillows some people are bringing pillows and blankies and snuggies like we're banning snuggies from the sanctuary snuggies is a fellowship hall only but it's just it's just exciting to see what God is doing and what God desires to do, not just in this place, but in our community. It's not about numbers. It's about God, what God wants to do. And if you're here, know that God wants to do something in you, with you, through you. You're here for a reason. You're in your community. You're within your sphere of influence. And these are truly the last days. And so, man, let's not just come here, worship, and get built up and equipped, and that's it. No, we got to go. We got to pour out because people need to hear about Jesus now more than ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are still not able, for you are fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He loved them very, very much. He spent so much time then pouring into them, planting that church, establishing that work. And so he writes this letter, no doubt, from a place of aggrieved, of a broken heart. And we see that. We can hear that just in the few words that we are looking at this morning. And so we see the Apostle Paul's heart in verse 1 was to speak to the church in Corinth as to those who were spiritual men and women. That's what he said. He goes, I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to dialogue with you. I wanted to conversate with you as spiritual men and women. But unfortunately, he couldn't 
That wasn't where they were, and he was unable to have these type of deep, rich conversations with them that he wanted to. Spiritual conversations. Now, the word spiritual there refers to those who lived, walked according to the Spirit, the Word of God, and the ways of God. That's what he wanted to say. Those who were living and walking in the Spirit, those who were obedient to the Spirit, sensitive to the Spirit, who can discern spiritual things. That is how he wanted to talk with them. That's what he wanted to conversate with them about. But sadly, that wasn't the case with many in the church in Corinth at this time. And it broke his heart. He said, I wanted to, but I couldn't. And so even though he was unable to speak to them the way he desired, notice in verse 1, he still refers to them as brethren. He said that they were fleshly. He said that they were carnal. But yet he still refers to them as brethren. Now, He couldn't talk to them as spiritual men and women, those who walked in the spirit according to the spirit, but they were still brothers. And I point that out in which it tells us a couple of things. One, even though they weren't spiritual, walking in the spirit, being sensitive to spirit, they were still believers. They were still born again. So that's the first thing it tells us. And the second thing is that term brethren was a term of endearment. He had deep love for them, even though they weren't where he desired for them to be. Most importantly, where God wanted them to be, he still loved them. Loved them so much, he was willing to tell them the truth in love. This is a very harsh, direct, pointed conversation that he's having with them. And those types of conversations are very, very difficult to have, especially with people that we love. I never enjoy having to go and to talk to one of my friends. You might be off base a little bit, might be doing something that he or she shouldn't. It's fear. Because so many times I've gone to people in love to tell them the truth and they look at me and they say, who do you think you are? How many guys have experienced that before? And the temptation for me is to say, nobody, I'm out of here. Kick rocks. You're on your own. You know, Lord, smite them down. You know what I mean? Kick dust upon them. You know, like, (laughs) all right, I'm just trying. But that's not the heart of God. And that's not the heart of the apostle Paul. He goes to them and he tells him, this is what I want to do. But he still has deep love for them. You're carnal. You're not spiritual men, but you're still brethren. And I still love you. And you're still born again. And because they weren't spiritual, we see that he had to speak to them in verse one as men of flesh and infants in Christ. This no doubt would have been very, very hard for the church in Corinth to receive and to hear that they were fleshly, that they were carnal, that they were infants in Christ because of their exalted view of themselves. Corinth was the intellectual capital of the world filled with philosophy, and they thought that they were highly intelligent, far surpassing all the wisdom of the world around them. So to find out that their wisdom, that their insight, not only were they fleshly and carnal, but they were as infants, little babes would have stung very, very hard. This phrase, men of flesh, here refers to a life that is characterized and described by the flesh. You guys think you're so spiritual. Now remember, this church was thriving with the gifts of the Spirit. There was tongues, there was healings, there was all these different things. They had the wisdom of the world that was blending with the wisdom of God. They saw themselves as have they have arrived. And to hear that they were characterized and described by the flesh would have not went over well for them. That word men of flesh there, that word flesh, just, uh, depending on your translation, it could also be interpreted carnal. And that's what they were. And the sad part is because they were brethren, because they were believers, because they were born again, they should have and could have lived differently, but they chose not to. How grieving that must have been for the apostle Paul. 
to see this church that he loves so much walking and being described and characterized by the flesh and the deeds of the flesh and the works of the flesh when they didn't have to. They were choosing to live that type of lifestyle. How dangerous it is to be a believer, to be set free from the control of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh, but yet still hold on to certain aspects thinking that we can control it. That is a big trick of the enemy and a a, a slippery slope to go down. And sadly, not just the church in Corinth, there's some even today who attempt to hold on, who have been freed and can walk in the spirit, who've been born again, who are alive, who are brothers, who are Christians, but yet choose, they don't have to, choose to hold on to certain aspects of the flesh. We know that sin, the Bible says, is pleasurable for a season, and there's certain aspects of the flesh that that excite us and, and make us happy, but we need to remember that the deeds of the flesh and the roads down to the flesh leads in death. And something so dangerous isn't something to be played with. The Bible says, do not be naive, do not be ignorant, brethren. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived that what we sow, that shall we also reap. We don't want to reap destruction of the flesh in our lives, but yet we sow to it at times. It's a very, very dangerous thing. That's why God says, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. We want nothing to do with the flesh, everything to do with the spirit. But that wasn't the case with the church in Corinth. They wanted to hold on to certain aspects of the flesh, which is so, so dangerous. And I think we see how dangerous it could be with the life of Saul. Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel. They wanted a king like everyone else. They wanted to be like everyone else. All the other nations, everyone else had a king to rule over them when God was ruling over his people. And so God gave them what they wanted, a king. And Saul started out well, but when he began to do what was right in his own eyes, it began to lead to his demise. And God gave Saul a very, very clear and direct message to go out and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. You might be remember, you might be familiar with this story in 1 Samuel. Now, the Amalekites or Amalek throughout the scripture is a picture or a type of the flesh. And so for us as New Testament believers, the message that we get from that is to completely, utterly destroy all aspects of the flesh. God told Saul, do not leave anything, kill everything. Their animals, their everything, even their little puppies, wipe them out, utterly destroy them. But that's not what Saul did. He went in and he utterly destroyed all, but he took their king, King Agag, and he took him and he wanted it to be like a trophy. It was something that he wanted to parade around, something that made him feel good. Look, I dominated you. And so he didn't completely wipe out the Amalekites. And interestingly enough, we find a story later in 1 Samuel where Saul was wounded in battle and an Amalekite happened to walk by. Now the Amalekites would have been utterly destroyed. And this Amalekite went on to tell people that he was the one who killed Saul. The irony in that is powerful. If we don't completely wipe out the flesh, it will literally kill us. And so we see that. These were men of flesh. Not because they were in bondage, not because they weren't born again, but because they chose and because they had chosen to hold on to certain aspects of the flesh. 
These two words that we're talking about, fleshly, how he describes them in carnal, should not be words that we use to describe brothers and sisters in Christ. We should want anything and everything to live a life opposite of the flesh and opposite of carnal. These two words are harsh. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, fleshly and carnal, which naturally leads us to think about and to ponder the very, very controversial phrase, carnal Christian. It's one that's thrown out a lot. It's one that we hear a lot from time to time. But just saying those two words together, it kind of stings a little bit. Carnal Christian, they seem opposite and shouldn't be together like a contradiction. But the question is, is it possible to be a carnal Christian? And I think as we see here, even though it's very difficult to reconcile the two carnal Christian and put them together, I believe as we see here, the answer has to be yes. We see here, even though he calls them carnal and fleshly, he still refers to them as brethren. And at the end of verse one, he still says that they are infants in Christ. So they're in Christ and they're brethren, which leads us to believe that even though they are carnal, they are still Christian sad and hard to think about. And on this topic, the popular British pastor and author Alan Redpath once said this, the carnal Christian is a child of God, born again and on his way to heaven, but he is traveling third class. Born again, saved, but traveling third class. Third class is no way to travel at all. Me and my wife just got an opportunity to go away on a little vacation. I was flying normal class, and that wasn't very comfortable. For some reason, the plane just continued to shrink, shrink, shrink. Some say I'm getting bigger. I don't know. But just normal class is not okay for me. Could you imagine third class? I remember one time I made the mistake. I must have been in the flesh. I flew Spirit Airlines. I thought I was in the spirit, but I clearly was in the flesh. Oh, my goodness. The only thing worse than flying Spirit Airlines is having the back row of Spirit Airlines. Oh, my goodness. I was like a sardine. I was packed in that thing, and I was thinking, wow, this is normal? Did I do something wrong here? Stuart's like, no, this is everybody's seat. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's normal third class. It's no way to travel whatsoever at all. The only thing worse than traveling third class is the fact that we could be first class. We're missing out on being first class, of walking in the spirit and enjoying the blessings of holiness and an obedient life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even though carnal Christians are in Christ and brethren, we should want nothing to do with that. We should want not our identity to be with fleshly or carnal, but with holy and walking in the spirit. We don't want to miss out on the blessings for what? To feed the flesh, to hold on to aspects of the worldly carnal activities that please us so that we can travel third class. He said, I came to give life in that abundant. Third class isn't that abundant life. That's not what God has. That's not what God wants. We should want and desire all that God has for us. I want it all because I know it's good. I know his plans for me. You think back to the book of Joshua. God had so much for the nation of Israel when he led them out of captivity, out of Egypt. The land of milk and honey, the promised land, he had so much. And he had it mapped out. And he said, all you got to do is go and get it. It's yours. Are you aware of how much the nation of Israel took? 10% of the land. 
10% of what God had. Now, don't get me wrong, 10% is good. Third class might be okay. But imagine what 100% would look like. And imagine what first class would look like. And that comes from a life of obedience and a life of living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. I'm having a problem with my iPad right now. It keeps popping up saying accessory not supported, but I have no accessories. I don't know what's going on here. First word problems. Hold on here, guys. Come on, man. Leave me alone. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I think I'm good. All right. Sorry about that. I was like, what is going on? So notice that they weren't just in verse one, they weren't just fleshly or carnal, but it says that they were also infants in Christ. And this wasn't a reference to them being new believers or them just receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't what he was referring to as them being infants in Christ. He was hinting to the fact that they should have grown. They should have matured. There should have been a natural progression in their growth and their relationship with Christ, but there wasn't. Now, infants, when we think about them, there's nothing wrong or bad necessarily with infants. We love them. They're so beautiful. We can go to the children's ministry right now and take a tour, and everybody, you just, you can walk into the high school room, and you're like, huh. Junior high room, and you're like, huh. You walk into the nursery, you're like, oh. Little infants. I mean, they're so beautiful. You pick them up, you smell I love babies. I love infants. And they're so precious. They're so beautiful as we know. And it, as we know, at, at times, it's hard to see them grow. Especially though our kids. We love that stage when they're small. And it's difficult when they begin to grow and when they begin to mature. You know, my daughter, she's nine years old now. And she's starting to say words correctly. Words that she used to not say properly. And I'm like, oh, it stings. And she's like, what? I'm like, you said that word correctly. Oh my. She's like, isn't that what you want? Yes. No, it's hard. You know, it's like, you know how to talk, you know? Oh my goodness. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, you talk right here and you start to spell out something. Okay. So, Hey, let's talk about Nevea. Uh, I'll spell a word out. And she's like, dad, I can spell. Oh, you can spell Dad, I go to school. Well, you're homeschooled. That's no, anyways, you know, <laughs> And so to see them grow, it's such an amazing and, and beautiful thing, as we know. Kids grow up, and they mature, but that wasn't the case with the church in Corinth. The believers, there was no maturity, and there was no growth, and that was the problem. It's natural, and as hard as it is, we don't like it. It's difficult to see in the life of our own kids. You know, my oldest son, Malachi, there was a time where he would run into my arms and say, Dad, 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 Dad. He doesn't call me Dad, Dad no more, Okay. That would be weird if we saw him in a foyer. Do you know where my dada is? <laughs> Wait, what? You know, he looks down on me. I'm just happy if he calls me dad sometimes. You know, he's a big guy. But those times change and they grow and that's healthy. But that was the problem. There was no growth. And so it was unhealthy with the church in Corinth. They were still infants in Christ. Now, again, it's not a negative thing. If you're here today and you are a new believer or you are an infant in Christ, this is an amazing time. Enjoy this season in your life. If you've recently come to know the grace of God and you've received that, enjoy that, but also understand and know that God desires more than anything for you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of him, that you would mature. The same way 
Babies don't stay the same. He doesn't desire for you to stay the same. This was something the Apostle Paul was passionate about, the sanctification, growing him, becoming more like him. Ephesians 5, Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul said, this is the goal, that we would grow, that we would continue to push and press in. And so enjoy this time, but no, growth is needed. It's desired from God. And for those who are further along, like the Apostle Paul, we need to come alongside those who are just starting, those who are just beginning, and we need to help them grow in their knowledge and understand. We need to disciple them. And that's what it's all about. That's what the church is all about. We need each other. I've heard it said, and I believe it is absolutely 100% accurate and right, that every single believer needs to have somebody that we're pouring into and somebody that's pouring into us. And so is that the case in your life? Do you have somebody that you are pouring into? teaching the things of God, sharing those things that you know and that you have learned, helping them along. I believe everyone should have that. Equally so, I believe it's of the utmost importance to have someone who is pouring into you, that we can grow and that we can learn and that we can grow and understand no matter where we're at. It's the cycle. We need to pour out. We need to get poured into. But that wasn't the case. There was no growth. And so during Paul's first visit to the church in Corinth, when he planted, he spent 18 months there sharing the gospel and helping them grow. And it was at that time, because they were new converts, that verse 2 tells us that he gave them the milk to drink, not solid food. They were new believers. They were infants in Christ, so he gave them milk, not solid food. Both milk and solid food are a reference to the word of God and the nourishment that it brings to us. And just as a baby, as we know, babies in the nursery, they start with milk before you introduce solid foods. As they mature, they can handle more. So too is the case with spiritual babies or infants in Christ. We know that if we went to the nursery and we fed them solid foods too quickly, it could harm them. It could literally hurt them, no matter if they want them or not. I've seen this firsthand. I remember one time my wife left me with Jude. He was in ah, maybe six months old. And she said, oh, there's a pot of chili. And so, you know, I put everybody, I'm eating chili. <laughs> you see where this is going? It's bad. <laughs> I like my chili a little spicy. This is when I knew that Jude was different. Like he was an animal or maybe that was the point where he became an animal. But I'm eating my chili and this little guy, I'm like, oh. I, I, a couple of times ago, like this, I'm like, he loved it. I was like, my dog, look at this little guy. I squeezed him up and I said, we're going to share a bowl of chili together. Well, that night Naomi got home and let's just say Jude was, uh, his stomach was rumbling and she's like, Eric, it's, it's red and it's all these different things. What's going on? He's, he's so upset. Uh-huh. Mm. Oh my goodness. I felt so tough, but I felt so bad, but he, he made a man out of him at an early age, you know. That little guy, his digestive system was hard, but it hurt him. It hurt him at the time. you got to introduce solid foods slowly. And that's the same thing with the things of God. And so that's what Paul did. He started with the milk of the word, helping them lay a foundation. And even though there is a growth and maturity needed to spiritually digest the solid food, the solid things of the word of God, it's important that we understand anyone and everyone is able to receive and understand the word of God. Even though there's a melt to solid food, we can understand. That's the way that the Bible is designed for even children to understand. We don't have to be an intellectual. But what we will see is 
that our degree and depths of understanding will deepen with growth and maturity. The doctrine will be able to understand, but it will deepen. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about the word of God. He says, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and it deepens with our years. Isn't it amazing that as you read through the Bible, every single time you understand more? And you're like, wow, I've never seen that before. But you read it, you understand, because it deepens and it widens as we read it and as we mature. A very, very young, young child in the children's ministry can understand salvation, that they were sinners, they needed a savior. Now, they can receive that. But as they mature and as they walk with the Lord, things like adoption, things like justification and sanctification and redemption, those things are going to open their eyes to deeper things as they walk with the Lord even more and more. Salvation is easy to understand, but the depths of it and the width of it as you walk with the Lord, it just blows our minds. And so it was completely understandable that during Paul's first visit that they could only handle milk, not solid food. But Paul says at the end of verse two, even now they were still not able My first time I gave you milk, but I've been gone for years. And even now you're not able to understand and comprehend solid food. You can imagine how this grieved the apostle Paul's heart because he wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them mature in their faith, but they couldn't. The writer of Hebrews spoke about this growth that needs to take place in the life that Paul was hoping to see. And it's in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. It'll be on the board. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is now for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern what is good and evil. He said, you guys should be in solid food. You guys should be teachers. You should have grown more, matured more, but you haven't. You still, even though you are many, many years walking with God, you're still on the milk. There's a lack of growth. Why weren't they growing? Why was there no spiritual maturity in the church in Corinth? And I believe it's for two reasons. And as we talked about, the first one is the church was being influenced and infiltrated by the culture instead of the other way around. They were trying to mix. And when you mix the culture and what's pleasing in the world within the church, you can have no growth or maturity. That's what was happening then. Equally so today. There's churches all around that will preach the world's agenda, the world's view, and they will try to blend it within the church, and it has no place. The Word of God is that which we, is our guiding light. It's a lamp unto our feet. And so they were mixing and, and, and pairing together, and whenever you do that, there is no growth at all. The second thing is they were not devoted to the Word of God. And so they weren't growing, and they weren't grounded. And you... Without spending time in the word, there's no growth. And you can see this. If you run into people, maybe brothers and sisters in the Lord that you used to fellowship with, maybe you started with at the, started walking with God at the same time, you run into them from time to time and it's been a, a, a season that you've seen them and you begin to talk. I've had a brother who I started walking with who, who moved away and I talk to him now and I'm like, man, what is going on? 
And you can even see the same thing with people in the world. People you went to high school with, you run into them, college with, people you used to know back in the day, you run into them and they're still talking about the same things. You're like, what? That was cool when we were 15. You're 50 now. What are you doing? There's no growth. There's no maturity. They're in the same place. Dressing the same way, talking the same way, walking the same way, doing the same things. And it grieves your heart. You're like, man, wow, there's no growth, no maturity. We need to be dedicated and devoted to the word of God. That's what renews our mind. That is what promotes growth in the life of a believer. And so it's very important to not skip over this, to take note of this and allow it to sink into our heart. This truth that we already are well aware of that compromise from the outside world in and no devotion to the word of God will stunt our growth and breed carnality every single time. Every single time. And so because they were compromising and unable to receive the word, verse three says they were still fleshly and it was being manifested by things like jealousy and strife that was among them. Verse four tells us that there was division, jealousy, strife, and division. These are deeds and works of the flesh and these are sins. The Bible said even practicing these things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. In our minds, we like to elevate certain sins and push down other ones. But jealousy is a sin that will separate us from God. Envy is a sin that will separate us from God. Division, strife, causing turmoil, they're sins that will separate us from God. And so they were fleshy and they were carnal and it was manifesting itself with those things. Jealousy, strife, and division. And in light of these fleshly acts, the Apostle Paul asks them a question in verse 3. He says, are you not walking like mere men? Another translation says this, are you not acting like people of the world? What are you doing? Look at how you're acting. Jealous and envy and the divisions that are taking place. That was just a few. Sexuality, um, uh, promiscuity was rampant in the church of Corinth. All sorts of Terrible, terrible things. He says, are you not acting like mere men? Are you not acting like people in the world? World? This would be a great question, even as we leave and meditate upon the word the next couple of days, to ask ourselves that question. In what ways, if any, are we acting like mere men? In what ways, if any, are we acting like people of the world? Because we are no longer mere men or women. We're born again. We're believers. We've died to that life. And so in what ways, if any, are we acting like mere men? The question wasn't intended to put them down or to beat them up, but to really think why they were acting a certain way that they weren't. Why were they acting? Why are you pretending to be conducting yourself in a way that you aren't. You were bought with a price. God gave his life. You are a son and a daughter of a king, but yet you're acting in a way that isn't fitting for who you are. It's not becoming of a believer. And with this, we're reminded that we see the struggle between the spirit and the flesh. And even though we are no longer mere men or mere women, we still know that there's a battle that rages inside of us. And that battle is going to cause us to act in a way that we're not. The spirit and the flesh are at war. The spirit wants us to act according to the world and the ways of the world. But the spirit is refining us and sanctifying us to act in a way that is pleasing to God. There's a war taking place. 
Galatians 5.17 says, The spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. They war against one another. And so, how do we defeat the deeds of the flesh? By walking in the spirit. No compromise. Devoted to the word of God. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The phrase carnal Christian should be nothing to do with our lives whatsoever. We should want to be holy as he is holy, perfect as he is holy. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we acting in any way like mere men? Because that is not who we are. We are acting in a way that isn't right and fitting or becoming. We can tell when our children are acting certain ways. You get around, your, 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 you see your kids in certain environments. My kids think that, you know, I used to have them really, really convinced that God tells me everything about their life. I'm telling you, you can never lie to me. You can never do anything. God tells me everything. And they would just see me and I would, you know, I would see Malachi or around a group of girls and I'd be like, hey, which one's your girlfriend? What do you mean? I know you like one. Just go ahead and tell me. God already told me. Well, her name is, how did you, I told you. He didn't tell me anything. But you could just see Malachi goes like this, all of a sudden a girl. I'm dropping him off at school. Who's that? Oh, nothing. Why are you acting weird? I'm not acting weird. Why are you acting weird? You're acting weird. I know how you act. I know how you conduct yourself. And so when I see you acting in a way that's not normal, why are you acting like that? So too, God would look down today and say, why are we acting like mere men and women when we're not? We need to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. It's a high calling to be holy as he is holy. And so in closing, let us walk in the spirit, being completely and wholly devoted to the word of God. Let us not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, but put to death the deeds of the flesh with no compromise. And if we do these things, we will always be maturing and growing in our relationship with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just, God, allowing us to come and to seek you and to worship you and to hear from you, God. And Lord, our heart's desire, even as we look into your word, we want nothing to do with carnality or the deeds of the flesh. We don't want to be carnal Christians. We want to be holy as you are holy. And so God, help us. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill us up today from the soles of our feet to the crown of our head that we can walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we can use the gifts and walk in the calling in which you've given to each and every single one of us, Lord. God, give us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Lord, give each one a great hunger and a desire for your word and help us to flee evil and pursue righteousness, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Those who, were in, those who were in Corinth, they were acting like mere men, which is sad, but they weren't mere men. They were saved. They were born again. They were free. They were just choosing to hold on to certain aspects of the flesh. You may be here today, and you may be watching online, and you aren't free but you're still acting and conducting in the deeds of the flesh. You're in all sorts of bondage and you know that you're separated from God and you know that there's nothing you can do about it. You're just not free, but God wants to give you freedom today. 
He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you of all unrighteous. And he wants to make you alive. He wants to take away the natural man and make you a spiritual man. But to do that, you got to be willing to give him your life and your heart and say, God, I need you and I want you. Do not be deceived. I remember the time in my life, even as I was contemplating about my testimony, there was a time where I wasn't free to do those things that I wanted to do. I was in bondage to all sorts of evil, evil things. I wasn't free. But the Bible says who the sun sets free, they're free indeed. You can be free today. You can be forgiven today. And you can be cleansed of all unrighteousness and your relationship with God can start today. How? By placing your faith in Jesus, by receiving him. The Bible says for as many that have received him, he's given them the right to become a child of God. Today, this morning, right here, you can become a child of God. You can be forgiven. The choice is yours. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here today and you want to receive Christ, you want to be forgiven, you want to be cleansed, you want to be free, his hand is reaching down. Will you receive it today? Will you open up your heart today? And so if that's you, will you just simply stand up right now so I can pray for you? You want to receive Christ? Today is the day of salvation. Do not put it off. Will you take a stand and receive Christ right now? The reason I'm asking you to stand is he says, you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father. This is a safe place where you can say, I want to be free. I don't want my life to be in bondage and flesh and sin. Anybody here want to receive Christ? Take a stand. All right. If you are here today and you are a Christian, God bless you. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. If you are here today and you are a Christian, and as we were talking about carnal Christianity, carnal Christian, you realize, that's me. And it stung a little bit, and you want to repent. You want to say, God, that's me. I got too many areas of my life that I've been holding on to the flesh. I'm a brother. I'm born again. I'm in Christ, but I'm also fleshly and carnal. And I want to repent today, Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to stand as well. If that's you today and you're a believer and you need to rededicate, I'm going to ask you to stand right now so I can pray with you as well. God bless you. 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 Those of you who are standing, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And it's just words, but it's about the condition of your heart. This is God. Forgive. Cleanse. I want to live for you. So I'm going to ask you to repeat these words after me. Those of you who are standing, we have to say it out loud. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you guys, you may be seated. Those of you who stood, we're praying for you, especially those who rededicated their lives to the Lord. Pride wants to keep us down. Oh, what are people gonna think? I'm a believer. No, I wanna get right with God. It's not about what man thinks, it's about what God thinks. 
And so those of you who stood today, we rejoice with you. We're praying for you. If you need prayer or a touch from the Lord, um, a Bible, anything, you can stop by the prayer room. If you're here and you're hurting, please stop by the prayer room. There's people who would love to pray for you and to pray with you. God bless you. Let's stand for our last song.